Warning. Project 1982 contains explicit language. Did I stutter? We ain't partners. We ain't brothers and we ain't friends. I'm putting you down and keeping you down until Gans is locked up or dead. And if Gans gets away, you're going to be sorry you ever met me. I'm already sorry. Nick Nolte is a cop. Eddie Murphy is a con. I can help you get Gans, but you got to get me out of here first. You're crazy. I watched both of these movies yesterday. I had seen the movies before as part of this project, but then I decided to do a refresh, and I watched them back yeah, I watched to back. them yeah. both yesterday as well. Oh, my God. It was like it was like a 1982 enema. It was, it, it was rough. It was rough. I needed to lay down after watching both of these movies. I have a complicated relationship with one of these movies, and... Which one? 48 hours. I oh, okay. I can't tell you how because 48 hours was a landmark movie for me when I was a kid. Oh. I loved this movie. I could I could repeat this movie verbatim from memory. Hello and welcome to Project 1982. I'm Michael Schantz. And I'm Matt Aldrich. And this is the show that buddies up with the movies of 1982. <laughs> we ain't partners. We ain't brothers and we ain't friends. What are you people? On dope? I got nowhere else to go! He's a replica, isn't he? I'm afraid! I'm excited. I am not. I'm not excited. <laughs> I'm not excited. I'm terribly afraid. I haven't been this afraid since we did the gender episode. I was I was going to say that this your your reaction that I just saw on your face that crawled across your face reminded yeah. me of your reaction on the gender episode. I am my hands are crossed uh, over my arms are crossed over my chest right now. Um, I'm curling hands up are in the perfect pits. ball. Hands are in the pits. <laughs> the pits are nice and sweaty. It's really uh we have been talking this whole project about how every film that we are looking at is in right. some way casually racist or casually sexist. There were the movies when we talked about the gender episode, those were the ones that that went at the sexism and mm -hmm. tried to talk about it as clumsily as some of them did. They tried to tackle it. And here right. we have the same with the, the the racism. I feel like the two movies we're going to talk about today and perhaps asterisk the third movie we're going to talk about today all try to address the theme of racism. Yeah, but it also feels like it also feels like race is also kind of shunted to the side. It's not spoken about directly. Oh, I disagree. I think it's completely tackled. First of all, for the audience's sake, <laughs> we are talking about yeah. the two films we're going to talk about today are The Toy and 48 Hours. And these are, I, I was looking at my notes, these came out the exact same weekend. These films were, uh, 
I don't even want to say important, but in some ways they were, or they're significant. They're worth looking at. One is um, more significant, I think, within what became important to Hollywood after than the other. I think 48 Hours created a genre of its own of this sort of buddy cop movie yeah. that leaned into heavily and, and became an even more famous series, which was the Lethal Weapon series. Right. So it was Directed, like a blueprint yeah. for that series. I agree with you. I mean, looking, it's it's really hard to find a buddy cop movie uh, before 48 Hours. Of course, yeah. you have In the Heat of the Night, not a comedy, and a uh, fundamentally different uh, kind of, quote-unquote, buddy setup. In well, that. They, have, they have similarities, at least in The Heat of the Night has a similarity to this movie in which they're not buddies. Right. They, you know? yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, they're handcuffed So that's together. sort of a misnomer that's been, that's been, this movie has been tagged with that doesn't really apply. Even the makers of the film say, I don't know why people call it a buddy film or a buddy cop movie. They're not buddies and one of them's not a cop. I don't know why people call it a comedy. <laughs> there might be a total. You didn't laugh? Maybe for a total of 45 seconds, there's funny stuff in this hour and a half movie. Eddie Murphy doesn't even show up until 25 minutes into the movie. Yeah, right. So there's not a single laugh, not a single moment of levity until 25 minutes into the movie. I disagree with that. I think there are funny things in the movie. Uh, we'll have to get into it. I, I have very strong feelings about this movie. I can't tell you how... Because 48 Hours was a landmark movie for me when I was a kid. Oh. I loved this movie. I could repeat this movie verbatim from memory. And, oh, somewhere in the neighborhood of a year, maybe two years ago, I had rewatched 48, 48 Hours. I hadn't seen it in quite some time. And I remember thinking, oh, I got to watch that again. Like, I haven't seen that in a while. Time to watch 48 Hours again. What a great time I'm going to have. And, and then I just, as I watch it, I start sinking into my chair. Mm -hmm. And I think, oh, now this movie's far more complicated than I ever thought or gave it credit for. Credit. I don't think credit's the right word. But, right. But I just had this sinking feeling of, oh, no, we're not supposed to like this movie anymore. And then I really started thinking about the movie quite a bit because as abhorrent as as so many of the things that are said and done in the movie, I don't think the movie is condoning any of it. And I th think its legacy is a little bit more complicated than, say, any person on opposite ends of the spectrum might think. Mm-hmm. I think the movie's more interesting than that. I will I will I will give you this. I would I would caution anybody against making blanket statements out of about this movie without sitting down and actually watching it. Right. Exactly. I think people can remember it a certain way, either it being better than it was or worse than it was, but a lot of these movies that we talk about when you actually sit down and watch them again, there are always things that you didn't remember we're in there for better or for worse. In some ways I would, mm -hmm. I would, I would encourage people to watch this movie again because this to me is the prime example of what it means to look at the ingredients on the box of Twinkies to see what mm -hmm. we were fed as kids. 
what was funny, what was acceptable, what yes. was exciting, what was um, entertaining. This is th these are two th these are high grossing movies. The toy, like I said, the toy in Forty Eight Hours, they mm -hmm. came out the same weekend. The toy actually won that weekend. Forty Eight Hours came in third. Forty Eight Hours went on to earn more money overall. More money, yeah. Uh, what's interesting to me too is because they both come out in December. Yeah. A lot of time. A lot of times we're talking about how did uh, a Poltergeist or. How did uh, World According to Garp, how did this, how did that, how did it find an audience? How did it make any money? And sometimes we discovered it didn't. Mm -hmm. You know, Blade Runner didn't make a lot of money, right. became a hit later, that kind of thing. But right. what's interesting to me about these two movies is that they come out in December. Yeah. And Opposite, like, Sophie's Choice, Gandhi, and The Verdict. Like, this is Oscar season when these two movies come out. But what's interesting about these two movies is... Yes, they're released in December, but as we know, January, January is a dump month. And so mm -hmm. they could find an audience past the uh, Oscar-worthy movies, and they probably stuck around in theaters for a long time, six months. On paper, The Toy is a family movie that should be released between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Except <laughs> it's... <laughs> There's a big but. It's fucking poison i mean like it yeah. is it is a poison candy cane of a movie uh and candy then cane. It, like in the same way that you could have recited 48 hours from memory i could have recited the toy really i watched that See, movie a hundred times as a kid uh, yeah when i was a kid i wa i constantly watched the toy and went back to it and rewatched it and rewatched it and then it sort of I think in you my grow, teenage yeah. years, yeah, by the time yeah. I was 20, it fell by the wayside. I haven't seen it in 30 years. Yeah. And then when you watched it again, it's, Ooh. I had this, it was the, one of the biggest oh shit moments I had in this whole project. Yeah. yeah. Completely. Me too. I think these movies are a fascinating pair. I think mm -hmm. they talk, I think they talk to each other in really they do, uh, yeah. strange ways, unexpected ways. I, right. I, I don't think it's an accident that they came out on the same weekend. I think there is some. How could kind it of, not be an? Uh, I mean, well, do I don't think it's. I don't think it was engineered, but I think there is like. Um, I think it's fascinating that they came out on the same weekend. I'll I'll give you that, and I'll and it's a I'll cosmic also, coincidence. Cosmic coincidence, and also I guarantee you, I saw both of these movies in the theater, on or around opening weekend, guaranteed. Oh, so I I would not I was not allowed to see Forty Eight Hours. I remember seeing the toy in the theater. Oh, so yeah. I had to wait for 48 hours to come out on video before I was allowed to see it. Yeah. 48 hours is right up my dad's alley. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. Oh, don't you know it. All right. Well, let's let's go <laughs> down, down that alley, sir. Shall I'm going to go go get my sinking boat. <laughs> <laughs> You're never going to let me forget that. No. <laughs> it's too good a story. <laughs> So we're going to talk 48 Hours first. As we mentioned, these movies, well, I have that uh, 48 Hours came out two days earlier on a Wednesday, December 8th, but they had yeah, the same they, weekend audience. Yeah. As the toy was uh, released on December 10th, this movie is directed by Hollywood veteran Walter Hill. 
he's strange. Like he's got a he's got a, an interesting filmography mm-hmm. from movies like The Warriors and Streets of Fire to, and Red Heat to Brewster's Millions. Yeah, for me, I, th- I kind of like that. I like I wish directors were more eclectic. I wish they were mm-hmm. more all over the place as opposed to being so um, boxed into whatever little subgenre sure. that they do. But I found this interesting. This movie still has 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. What say you, sir? I am part of the 7% on that one. <laughs> I'll, I'll spoil the ending right now. Yeah. I, I, I really think I still consider this a good movie. Deep sigh. Deep sigh. <laughs> But what I can't figure out is, is, am I latching on to what I loved when I first saw it? Mm -hmm. So am I not willing willing to look at it with fresh eyes? Which I don't think is true. Because I, I, like I said, when I watched it a couple years ago, my first thought was, oh, no. (laughs) It made me deeply uncomfortable. What about it? Like, say more about that. Uh, Just the, the open hostility and racism. It's the first line of the movie. Yeah. And the first maybe six that's, lines. That's of my the movie. first that's one of my first notes. I mean, here's my note is the first line of dialogue includes racism. Yeah. And and the second and the third and the fourth yeah. that entire first scene. I feel like we need to give uh, the audience maybe the back of the DVD cover of what this movie is about. You have right. Nick Nolte. Nick Nolte plays a cop in San Francisco. Uh, the film opens with a prison break and the, the men who break away from prison uh, get into a, a, a shootout with some cops. Nick Nolte's gun is stolen uh, in that shootout and used to kill a cop. So Nick Nolte sets off in search of the men and the stolen gun. And in order to catch them, he enlists the services of Eddie Murphy's character, who is incarcerated. Uh, and he signs him out on a 48 hour furlough so that they can hit the streets of San Francisco and find the bad guys. That's basically the, yeah. the film. As a, as a scenario, as a setup, um, as a movie setup, like that, that's a table with four legs. I feel like that is a, yeah. that's, a good, that's a really good setup for a movie. Now, and then? <laughs> and then what they decide to do, and it's a conscious decision, and this is where I, both of these movies make a conscious decision to run right at race and racism. The, the, yes. the, 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 the gang of uh, criminals, right? There's Eddie Murphy, there's Luther, there's... Yeah. Uh, um, Gans. There's Gans. And, and Billy then, Bear. And Billy Bear. And there's one other guy, the guy who shot on the bench at the beginning. Oh, right, Henry right, right. Wong. So racially, it's, a, it's a, an eclectic gang that has gotten together um, to do this crime, right? Predating sure. the movie, you know, that they stole half a million dollars. So, but what they, what they chose to do, they specifically chose to make the Eddie Murphy character black. And they specifically chose to make the Nick Nolte character white and like virulently racist. Mm-hmm. And made that the, the substance of their relationship. There's, there's nothing Until else to there's their a reckoning later in the movie, though, Matt. I, this is where you and I are going to The movie ways. addresses it. I, I, here's the thing. And this to me, is, it matters. It, it really does matter. Well, let me ask you then. 
like, yes, this movie tries to face racism head on. Like it, it, it acknowledges that racism exists. It casts its main character as a unapologetic racist Mm -hmm. who is forced to work with a black man and then who has a sort of, he, 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 he does kind of a mea culpa and say like, look, I've been, I've been calling you these names and I've been acting this way because uh, it's part of the job. Meaning like part of the job of a cop is to keep black men down. Right. So this movie is running right at that idea. So my question to you is, do you think the movie still has blind spots though? I I would not describe this movie as enlightened, but the I I separate what the characters are doing, which is despicable from what the movie is condoning. I don't think the movie's condoning his racism. I think the, I think the movie is saying he's racist. The movie itself is actually far more progressive than most movies made in 1982 in the sense that you have a, le- a leading actor who's a black man. You have at least seven secondary supporting characters who are African-American. And then you have at least 200 extras, all African-Americans. Mm-hmm. This movie employed African-Americans at a time when other movies wouldn't. And so in that way, uh, yeah. there's something to be said about that in and of itself. And I, even I, though I, I agree with you, one, one of those characters uh, that they cast uh, as an African-American is Nick Nolte's uh, direct supervisor. So he's somebody. Yes. Like, the, the, like, he, and so like he's in a position of power as well. To. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But and then, <laughs> of course, that is also conjoined with this idea that that black man uses the N word. So that's a whole other yeah. level of, oh, my I, God, what is going on? I don't even like, yeah, I don't even. <laughs> I feel like we're going to spend the whole time talking about the racism and we're not even going to get to the sexism. We're not even going to get yes. to like yeah. the topless women being thrown on beds. And just, like there's so much to unpack in this. And movie. that's played for comedy, which is. Yes. Like really super gross because you hear the little. Ah! And it's, I think, played for a laugh. But this is what I'm talking about with blind spots, though. And I feel like for me, like this movie has racial blind spots in some fundamental ways. One, it's the trope of the magic black man, right? It's the it's the black man who is employed only to solve the white man's problem, which is I lost my gun and I need to get it back. Right. I mm-hmm. lost my gun. My my like if, if there was ever like a, a symbol, if a film symbol of white male power, it's the gun. Right. So yeah. I've lost my gun. I need to get it back. It's like boo hoo. Like so. But but the movie says, well, you know, you need the help of this man and he's going to be a man that you have power over. You can you have taken him out of jail and you can put him back in jail anytime you want. See, but I mm-hmm. think this movie also the thing that I find interesting is that every time something abhorrent happens racially, Eddie Murphy or his character is also given a bit of power. It's really interesting to me when he takes him out of jail and Nick Nolte is telling him, we ain't partners, we ain't brothers, we ain't friends. I'm putting you down and keeping you down until Gans is either locked up or dead. And if Gans gets away, you're going to be sorry you ever met me. And so and he's and then he like grabs him by the neck and like he's leading him out the door. Yeah. And the next shot you see them getting into his car and Eddie Murphy says he, he he's it's like this trope of a black man calling somebody Jack. 
Mm-hmm. And so he says, uh, you know, what gang you talking about, Jack? And he says, hey, I can read a police file, shithead, and quit calling me Jack. And Eddie Murphy says, it's just an expression. I don't mean anything by it. And he says, I don't yeah. care. It happens to be my name, which is, you know, that's not an unquality sized joke. Like, that's fairly funny to me. But what I like is is that it's Eddie Murphy's character who is, to me, being represented as the clearly better person because he's the only person who ever says, hey, I don't mean anything by the words that I said. Right, it's right, just right. an expression, you know? I agree with you that the way the characters are written and the way they're performed, they are, uh, it's a fair fight in a way. Like that, like Yes, exactly. That it is a, it's a I think Eddie Murphy is presented as... Now, never presented as less than Nick Nolte. No, despite and, the and fact, fact that he's a criminal. In fact, in fact, there is the uh, there's the sort of the bookend to that line that you're saying. There's the bookend. We ain't partners. We ain't brothers. We ain't friends. Yeah. Eddie Murphy delivers that line right back to Nick Nolte right. at the end of the second act. So there, there's a there's a um, a lovely symmetry there um, that mm-hmm. the movie is is going for. I will say, though, at the end of the day, the movie's happy ending is Nick Nolte gets his gun back and Eddie Murphy goes back to jail. That's the happy yeah. ending of this movie. And and that's what I'm talking about, about blind spots. But it's a little that, more complicated. That, like, you know, is it? I don't want to say <laughs> anything as ridiculous as he just happens to be a black criminal. Right. But. Because the reality is that this part went out to lots of people and in the end it went to Eddie Murphy because he was the hot young star from Saturday Night, mm-hmm. Saturday Night Live. And really they took a risk. They took a chance on this comedian. And what I love about this movie is this is Eddie Murphy's first performance in a motion picture. And yeah. it's a great performance. It is a good performance. Yeah. I'll agree with you there. I find it... I find it really interesting that this is billed as an action comedy. I don't think it's a comedy at all. There's nothing funny about, there's nothing inherently funny about the setup. Eddie Murphy. No, the setup's not funny, but no, I think there are, I think there's funny stuff throughout it. I like that a guy says, Hey, you've got a big, you got a big future as a forger. If you happen to go that way. Thank you, Bob. Yeah. Thank you, Bob. It's just funny to me. I mean, I find that to be like maybe witty banter or convincing dialogue. I just don't think that rises to the level of comedy like that. That just it's a it's a it's a that's just oh, OK. A, I see what you're saying. Let me ask you this, though. What is this movie to you if either the races were reversed or it was not an issue and they were both the same race? Is this as good a movie? Can you kind of stretch your imagination to hmm. to think about it that way? It's hard to extrapolate that out from, you know, race is such a part of the core of this movie. It's part of the batter before you even bake. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So if it was, you know, whatever, if it was a white cop and a white criminal or a black cop and a black criminal, it would be more of a class thing. So I think it could it would still be a similar movie. But would be mm-hmm. more, you're a piece of shit because you're a criminal. Right. And I'm a cop above reproach. Right. Which is another thing I don't like about this movie. But Yeah, he, he is a very straight-laced cop. In fact, he turns down bribes several times. Right. And because uh, he said it's not his style. 
implying that it's plenty of cops style. Yeah. You know, and the, the blurring between cop and criminal, I think, is something that they tackle in the next 48 hours movie. Yeah. Not necessarily in this one. Um, because race is sort of absent from another 48 hours. No longer oh, really? an issue in that movie. Oh, I guess they solved it. <laughs> I, I, think it's, I think it's really interesting to consider some of these alternate universe versions of the film because, that again, one of them, if you've switched the races, it, it takes me back in some ways to In the Heat of the Night, mm-hmm. where Mr. Tibbs is, he's not like, he's not Rod Steiger's superior, direct superior, but he, he's like a homicide detective in Philadelphia. Philadelphia, he's, yeah. He is of a higher status than Stature like a small, or, yeah, a small I, town I mean, sheriff. Right. Within the yeah, within the, the scope of police work. He's of a higher rank. If you if you were right. gonna go to a convention of cops, he would be more <laughs> important than Steiger. He's he's the one speaking at the dais and Steiger's yes. in the audience. Right. Exactly. So exactly. So the positions of power in that movie are Here's how are, you collect evidence, shitheads. Yeah. The positions of power <laughs> are switched in that movie and and I mean, look, I don't think this movie ever sets out to be no, uh, it's never in the heat to of the night. The, yeah. But I don't think it doesn't either. Like, I feel like it is it does exist kind of in the shadow of that movie. It's playing with a lot of the same ideas about who gets to be in charge. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you have in this movie is a is a progression where uh, they do kind of become partners in the end. Um, yes, they in the third That's act. That's the other are, thing that he gives. He gives. He gives Eddie Murphy a gun. Like they are going in together. Well, he lets Eddie Murphy keep a gun. Well, I mean, what I'm fair. saying is, like, he lets him uh, be. I don't know. Like, he he lets him. He lets him drive, which mm-hmm. is really interesting. Sort of at the end of the film. Yeah. Uh, he he finally takes a passenger seat where he's always been the one driving the whole time. You know, the thing that this movie has. That I find very interesting because when when Nick Nolte's character is being berated by his superior, who's an African-American, they have become partners by that point. Mm-hmm. And he actually sticks up for Eddie Murphy. Yes. He in says a way he's the that most capable guy. And yeah, he's he's, you know, more guts than any partner I ever had. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and to me, that's important. This would be a lesser movie if he if the character had never come to that realization. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, it t- totally makes sense. And and you're and you're you're right. Nick Nolte changes Let by the end of this, this movie. Let me put it this way. 100%. Never... What's that? I said Nick Nolte changes by the end of this movie. Yeah. 100%. So that that's never But what's question. interesting to me is I'm trying to separate the person and the cop. The way I've always looked at Nick Nolte's character is like he's he's got this hard shell that surrounds him. The hard shell is the cop. Mm-hmm. The cop is racist. The man inside the cop, I always felt like wasn't racist. He really looked at it as this is my job. But he, but he, he, until the end, he doesn't realize how disgusting that is. So he's like giving himself a pass for his racism because he, in his mind, I think he has to, he has to have that as his, as a, as a cop. Like cops have to separate black from white and no good and bad. And you know what I mean? I, I think I do. I, I would, I would also say in that scene uh, toward the end where they're, where he is acknowledging where Nick yeah. Nolte is acknowledging, look, I had to say these things cause I'm a cop. Eddie Murphy's reply to that is yeah, but it wasn't all that. Yes. 
Which is to say that 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 guy inside the shell, the walnut he inside said, the shell, doing your that job doesn't about, explain everything. Yeah, does it, Jack? So the the walnut inside the shell. But is I love still that acknowledgement. Yeah, it, it, but it's still pretty rotten. Well, but and also what happens is if you if you have this this terrible exterior, you you become more brittle. It 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 corrupts the soft inside. Like everything becomes brittle, and it, you're. You, at some point, you're just wholly that. So is it, it, do you think it is from the outside in or is it at the inside out? To me, it's the outside in. I I, I, th- I think I tend to think That's it's the inside That's how it's presented out. to me. That's how I think the movie is presenting it. And and I think that might be one of the blind spots of the movie because I think- But you can't forget the 1982 of it all either because some of this stuff is played for comedy. Well, and we could have talked about this movie too in, in our uh, macho episodes, frankly. We almost did. We, we yeah, discussed there that. There is so much. Um, you talk about him like outside of like we don't get to see him outside of being a cop, except in scenes with Annette O'Toole, his girlfriend. In which he's being an asshole. He's being so such an asshole. Like and by the way, total uh, side note, Annette O'Toole. This is the second time we're seeing men who are like in a relationship with a netto tool and they don't want to be in a relationship with a netto tool. And she's just like, please have me, have me, have me. Like a netto tool is drop dead gorgeous. She is like Stunning. super funny <laughs> and charming. And like, like I don't understand yes. how she keeps showing up in movies in 1982 where she's like the, the, the booby prize or something for, for these <laughs> piece of shit men who can't see that. Like she's like a, an amazing uh, uh, person. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think do you think is Nick Nolte presented as an anti-hero or is he just the hero? Oh, I mean, that's such a loaded word. Anti-hero. I feel like that gets thrown around a lot and we all don't agree on what it means. But I will say on what it is, I will say uh, he is definitely presented warts and all. But I think at the end of the day, the movie forgives him. That's true. I'll, I agree with that. And at the end of the day, I think we have to step back and look almost like to, at the cinematography even, because I can look at, again, we mm. keep coming back to the verdict and I can't wait to talk about that movie because I can look at the way Sidney Lumet yeah. shoots Paul Newman. And I'll look at the way that Walter Hill shoots Nick Nolte, you know, and one. That's polar opposites. You're right. One of them is definitely celebrating the machismo and you talk i mean you you talk about it yourself about yeah. being like this this uh uh this more pure thing inside a hard candy shell a hard corrupted shell and i feel like that mm-hmm. is that's fucking 1982 and that's what you and i as well, that's children the thing. that's i was gonna say that's what we you were, can't forget the 1982 of that's it all. what we were taught that men are men are these things that right. have hard outer shells that if you just are patient with us you can get to the soft chewy tootsie roll center and then we'll be sweet to you and only you and i mean mm-hmm. look nick nolte uh, it's hard for me to he looks like a train wreck in everything that he does like he 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 plays <laughs> right. train wrecks of of human beings like it was it's kind of his thing the mug shot that we came to know oh god <laughs> you you could see coming yeah i just yeah. feel like in terms of the the roles that he chose over his career and it was an illustrious career and you know yeah. and all that but the roles he chose and roles that chose him were these kind of down and out guys and we um he was a big star 
and we were taught to yes. look up to him. And so again, the movie going public in the eighties is not going to be looking at Nick Nolte as critically, I think, as as maybe the movie going sure. public now. Um, this was it was hard. This was hard to watch. I hope I never have to sit through this. I don't movie know. Like again. I said, yeah, I, I I still consider it a good movie. I think that there's despicable things being said and done in this movie, but I think the movie's conscious of it. The movie has the good sense to let Eddie Murphy's Reggie Hammond tear apart a bar mm-hmm. full of racists. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's actually very funny as well, despite being on the edge and and, and like you're worried for him. You yeah. know what I mean? But it's his credit as an actor, too, that he could believably command that entire room where that entire room said, we can't do anything. He's a cop. Anytime this movie does something that I find despicable, I find I find the character of Reggie Hammond being able to comment on Mm -hmm. it or do something about Mm -hmm. it. The movie always seems to be at least conscious enough of allowing that character some form of of power or retribution for the things that happened to him or said to him. This movie's complicated. <laughs> That's my <laughs> bottom line for this movie. It's super, super complicated. I used to I used to be able to recite this movie verbatim, and I did on backpacking trips. I'd walk eight miles and I'd spend <laughs> eight miles just doing this movie. To an extent that other people would say, shut the fuck up. We've heard it. (laughs) It's enough. Thank you. But what's really hard for me to take now is because of the language that's in it. Oh, it kind of makes me sick that you felt like it was okay to recite it. Yeah. At some in my teenage years, in my teenage stupidity. Right. And so, like I said, the movie's complicated. It's super complicated. Man, when, it's super complicated. And there's and and again, I mean, just in, in 2017, there was an announced remake of it. I hope that if they do do this again, that somebody in the production watches the original at some point. <laughs> just to know what they're getting into. In the cold, sober light of day. Yes. <laughs> Project 1982 will be back after these messages. Just give me honest work and honest pay Honest sweat from honest play And when I'm through, that's when I'll say I want my clean as real as I breathe It's gotta be 99.44 I want my clean as real as I breathe Nothing less, nothing more If you're looking for the real clean you can only get from a pure soap You want ivory It's gotta be pure, that's for sure I want my clean as real as I breathe I know what I want. He likes the wonder. Wait, let's get. Let's, let's blow it up right away. Right. The black man. Yeah. He wants one in black. All right. Let's oh, get. Any, it. Any color you the black man. He wants the black man. Uh, uh, no, no, Eric. No, not today. Not now. Not never. Yes. He's not at all. He's trouble. You see the mustache? I asked him to shave that. That's right. Mr. Morehouse, I really don't care. 
He is one of our cleaning people, Eric. I want him. He's not for sale. Why not? Because he's a person. Daddy said anything I wanted, anything in the store. You can't buy a human being, Eric. Well, why not? Because it's against law, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Mr. Morehouse, doesn't my daddy make the laws? I, I feel like after that 48 hours con conversation, I was like, whew, all right, well, we got the hard stuff out of the way. And then I realized we're about to talk about the toy. <laughs> oh, my so God. So much more difficult. So much more difficult. Okay, so the toy. 1982's The Toy. Richard Pryor, Jackie Gleason. On paper, that's com comedy yeah. legends, uh, you know, one of them at the height of his powers, uh, the other doing a victory lap. Um, right. On paper, that's uh, that's fantastic. You have Richard Donner directing. No slouch. No slouch. Superman movies. Uh, so the toy. Let me see if I can back of the DVD box the toy. <laughs> hmm. Just just. DVD like the back the, the back of the box of the DVD you automatically have to mention all the problems of this movie because <laughs> the back of the box is a white boy buys a black man I, I couldn't have said it better myself that that really that's is a problem a, that's a, a white... holy fucking shit problem yes a white a, a white boy in the south Yes, I I com I completely forgot that this movie took place in the South. Completely. Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Yeah. The number of Confederate flags you see in this movie. There's a fucking Confederate flag pool toy in the background yes. of this movie. During the scene where they negotiate During the, the scene terms, where he's bought. <laughs> it's literally hanging over Richard Pryor's head in the frame. It's further oh. back, but but yeah. on a two-dimensional image, it is over his head. There's it's a Confederate right flag his over his head, and that is not an accident. Nothing no. about that is accidental. No Ooh. way. No way is that an accident. So my first my first <laughs> I don't note, even know where to my, start. My very first note is there's something deeply unsettling about taking place in the South. That's my first note. The opening frame of this movie is a mural depicting a steamboat lazily rolling up a river past slave right. quarters on a plantation. That's the yes. opening frame of this of this movie. And then it pans over to Richard Pryor and his friends playing, you know, penny ante cards, you know, betting food stamps. Betting food stamps. And exactly. talking about and talking about eating dog food. God damn it. God damn it. I mean, this this movie, I said, 48 hours, I, I said I the first scene the was like, the, yeah. <laughs> the first scene of 48 hours, I was like, well, this is, this is every, every word out of everybody's mouth is just laced with racial epithets and just, it's yeah. the whole thing is just horrible. And then I watched the, the first few minutes of <laughs> Toy, and I'm like, what, what? What the fuck is going on? What the fuck is, what the fuck is going on? What the I, fuck is going on? About four minutes into this movie, I stopped the movie and just wrote down, so much is happening. <laughs> that's, that's my note. So much is happening in this first scene, from betting the food stamps to talking about eating dog food, 
all of a sudden, uh, his wife pulls up in a van and it says clan on the side. Clan watch. Yeah. She's part of the, you know, the clan clan watch. watch Yeah. It, so the story goes, we meet a down and out writer, a journalist who's also working on a book on the side who is facing losing his house that his parents left right. him because he can't um, he's he's laid on mortgage payments so he needs to get a job and so for the for the first act he's trying to get a job and they do this whole gambit where he gets a job as a cleaning lady and so they do the black man in a dress which is it's uh, so absurd it's well it's like it's such a um, it's such a trope and such a such a, a negative kind of destructive trope, and to to see Richard Pryor having to kind of muscle his way through that scene mm-hmm. is rough. And then, and so, uh, end of the day, the the head of this company that he's working for uh, has a son who's back for a week for military school. It's for his birthday. Every year, the son is allowed to buy anything in the store. This year, he sees uh, Richard Pryor. Uh, cleaning up and having fun. And he says on the wonder wheel on the wonder wheel, wonder wheel being the only sympathetic character in this movie. (laughs) Um, And, and the boy Scott Schwartz says, uh, I want the black man. And there, right there, you have the point of no return. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) For this movie. I watching this movie, I kept thinking about the off ramps. Mm-hmm. Where could they have, you know, switched tracks and avoided the collision that this movie is like dead set on on making happen? Like, right. here's the thing. I didn't know this until doing a little bit of research. This is based on a French movie from I did from, not. I, and I, I, I never I knew was that. So shocked. OK, so I, this is based, I did not know that. Based on a French movie from like 1977 or something like that, like mid 70s, French comedy, very light French comedy. And it's not about race at all. The original film. Right. Nothing about it. So this was a conscious decision. And they uh, wrote it uh, for, I don't know, I couldn't tell if it was written for Pryor specifically. It, it seemed to me more like Richard Pryor came on and so much of this movie, it was Richard go do something or, it felt or Richard's like idea. Yeah. The whole front of this movie with the Walkman felt like one day Richard Pryor said, well, let's do this. Or somebody said, let's do this. You know how people can't hear when you got your Walkman on? Let's do eight scenes of how that's funny. I have, I, but I have another thing about the Walkman because again, this is the, now the third or fourth movie where we have to suffer through a scene where a black man is oblivious to something because he's wearing right. a Walkman. It happened in Poltergeist, it happened in The Thing, and it happens in 48 Hours. And Airplane 2. And Air... Oh, God, Christ. And Airplane yeah. 2. And, and to me, like I said, like, like that trope of like having to watch sort of a black man bopping along to music and, and oblivious to the outside world is like... Like, I throw that right in there with the Japanese tourist with the camera uh, around right. his neck. Um, yeah. And... And so that uh, I'll ask you, <laughs> this might be easier to answer because I'll ask you the same question I asked you in 48 hours. Because this movie takes on race or, or wants to talk about race and address race head on, uh, w- w- what are its blind spots? Like, do, do, what, what do you think about that? 
the biggest blind spot of this movie is that the premise does not allow the character that Richard Pryor plays to ever have dignity. He always has to give in for the sake of money. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So he's constantly saying, no, I'm going to leave because this is wrong. You've it's insulting and you have insulted me. Goodbye. What's that? How much? Yeah. How could I give that up? And so it's all about a black man compromising himself for the sake of money. Selling himself again and again. I was was literally a a half a dozen times over and over and over again. I I thought like we talked about the back of the DVD cover being like a, a white boy buys a black man. I think the more accurate one is a white family buys a black man at least six times. Right. In the course of a movie. Like, I did not really remember how many times he was renegotiating his price. Yeah, me neither. And by the way, (laughs) because I was in the state when I was watching this, I I took a look at the adjustment for inflation because, like, the numbers seemed really low. Like, he was... He was uh, uh, selling himself for twenty five hundred dollars. Twenty five hundred dollars. It's like that feels low. It's like I, maybe I'm just it's forty years on. So I did. I went to a an inflation calendar or inflation calculator, uh, and uh-huh. uh, it would be about eighty seven hundred dollars of today's money, which still feels really low for That's, doing whoa what he is signing up to do. It I feels. You were gonna, I really thought you were going to say eighty seven thousand. Eighty seven hundred. It's so so like insult to injury, like how cheaply he's bought. Um, Not uh, only that, but like at one point, Matt, at one point in this movie. It's almost the lesson they teach the kid, because at one point he and the kid have like taken on this task of starting a newspaper to call out all the terrible. Yeah. Kind of Reagan era and racist nonsense bullshit that Jackie Gleason is doing. And then Jackie, Gle- Jackie Gleason's response is to offer him a, a job at the newspaper, which he accepts. Yeah. He always and he takes the bribe. he looks over the kid who's just supremely disappointed. But like Richard Pryor's got this look on his face that says, this is the way of the world. I, I need a job. And and the next scene you see, well, at least I've got a job. It's like, it's like this movie is talking about like the, the joys of selling out, the fun of selling out. The fun yeah. of selling yourself. It, oh, God. It's like, at least with Indecent Proposal, they made a meal of of what it's like to just sort of emotionally and, and, and morally compromise yourself and accept yeah, right. payment for, for your body yeah. and your time. Like, like, it really made the whole movie about how that wrenches somebody from the inside out and how it tears a relationship apart. This yeah. just just played for laughs. Well, and also <laughs> juxtaposing this movie with 48 Hours, from the moment you meet Eddie Murphy, he is completely and totally capable. Richard Pryor is portrayed as, I will do anything to get a job. I need a job. And then once he gets a job, he's a buffoon. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's not breaking good at everything. anything. Yeah. He's he's. Taking the fried chicken with his hands and throwing it on the table, mm-hmm. he should be fired. It's played for laughs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's he played for laughs. <laughs> but he doesn't he do a good job at, yes. that, at that luncheon. He actually does a really bad job. 
He is terrible at his job. He is. He is. He's bad. And then he gets fired, and the next scene you see him still working for the company. Yeah. Which makes no sense. It makes no sense. But And it, then he's whatever. continuing to do a terrible job, breaking things, knocking things over. It's all played for a laugh because Richard Pryor's funny, so he can do that stuff and still make you laugh. But when you think about it, he's doing his job terribly. Yeah. And he should yeah. not have his job. Yes, and I think from my understanding of the original film, the French film, it was that was kind of his shtick, right? To be uh-huh. a kind of a, a, a big kid who, you know, never quite took life seriously. And, you know, right. and so then he's hired as a toy. Uh, and so great. Yeah, because he is kind of a big kid himself. And, yeah, no. N- <laughs> yeah. And all that stuff. This is what I was. This, this is exactly what I should be doing. I keep coming back to on ramp uh, off ramps. Like yeah. there, there were like a hundred moments in this film that either in the development of the script or in the shooting or in previews, they should have just killed this project. Right. We talked about how 48 hours still has 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. This movie's at 4%. Four. Four percent. Wow. That's rare company. Yeah. That is interesting. I read a few reviews from the time and they didn't seem to take much uh, offense at the movie. They just were taking they all pot shots saying it was, it was bad. Yeah, that it was just bad. It was I, boring, I saw the not same funny. thing. Yes, I saw the same thing because I, I was really interested to know what people of the time thought. You know, I read a, a Gene Siskel uh, mm-hmm. review of it and it was more it was more. This is just bad from top to bottom. Uh, you're, you're wasting two of the great talents. What were you doing? What were you thinking? But nobody says this movie is overtly racist and terrible. N- yeah, nobody, nobody picks no, that nobody apart. Nobody comments on it. It's not until much later when you some film crit websites kind of talk about this movie in a retrospective kind of way that they that they go like, oh yeah, this was this was this crazy thing, this crazy racist thing that yeah. existed in 1982. This was a movie that could have existed in 1922. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, there is a version of this movie with Shirley Temple in it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, for me, like, I'll I'll talk about my personal relationship with this movie. Uh, I, like most, you know, suburban white kids uh, growing up in the time, I thought this movie was great because that kid's toy room was the best yeah. thing I'd ever seen. Ever seen. It was it was the best thing I'd ever seen on on screen. It was it was well, around the I, same time that Silver Spoons was on TV. Yeah. I want to say, and they're yeah. very similar um, ideas. Which is like, what if you got to like basically like live in a toy store? You know, like mm-hmm. there like your your toy room at home has all the bells and whistles. It's got pinball machines. It's got it's got toys you've never even heard of, and they're amazing. Like the little boxing robot and all this stuff, mm-hmm. and. You know, in some ways, like Richard Pryor also is kind of irresistibly funny no matter what he does. Though now when I look at this, I see a man who's like not having a good time. I see a a man who (sighs) who's struggling because this is after he had burned himself. So I I think he was I think he was still reeling from whatever sadness had beset him long before filming ever started. And you can see it. Yeah, I think you're seeing a you're not seeing the the same 
prior from the 70s. This is a really yeah. interesting year. for. I, 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 this is something we could talk about, too, because I think it's a really interesting year for Richard Pryor. He has three movies in the movie theaters this year. I know. Right. So he's got The Toy. He's got Live on the Sunset Strip, where he talks about burning himself. Yeah, um, right. And he's got Some Kind of Hero, which I had never seen until this project. And I think I think it's just the year previous, too. He has Bustin' Loose. He, I mean, he's doing a lot of work. He's doing a lot of work. And, and I think it was the year prior, or maybe it was the year, maybe it was in 82. He signs a giant, like, $40 million development deal. Uh, okay. for his production company to go make movies. And and so the movies that he makes in the late 80s, early 90s, mm -hmm. the see no evils of the world, right. um, those those move, uh, uh, moving, um, yeah. Brewster's, Brewster's Millions, Brewster's those millions. movies are all made under that, that shingle, which he establishes Umbrella. right about now. So he is like, in terms of like dollars and cents, he is on top of the world right now. I think personally in his personal life, 1982 is, is a real dark time um, from what yeah. I understand of his life. Um, but it, I think in these three movies, you have a, you have three very different actors, three very different men. Right. You know, you have the, you have the, you have different the incarnations of yeah. the one man. Yeah. It's, it's a trip. You, when you look at live on the sunset strip, you see the stand up, you see, you see the darkness, yeah, right. the humanity, the, like the really raw emotion. When you look at some kind of hero, the fearlessness. Yeah. Some kind of hero is, it's a, it's a, uh, it, it's this movie that kind of doesn't know if it's a comedy or a drama. And it's about a, a Vietnam vet who spends a lot of time, uh, you know, prisoner of war camp. He comes home and he's unable to really uh, start a life at home. He's doing a nuanced, at times it's very broad and goofy and, and shticky. Uh, yeah. But for the most part, for like the other 90% of that movie, he's doing a really nuanced performance. Yeah, right. And then you've got the toy where then, it's like, with where he looks like he's so, he looks miserable. He looks miserable. Miserable. And But then on top of it, you have from a, a completely solid director, you have some of the strangest choices. The speed yeah. up fast motion shit. Benny Hill. The piranhas. Yeah. The, you know, like the, the broadest of broad comedy choices directorially. Right. I'm baffled now as to why I liked this movie so much as a kid. For me, it has to do with the toy room and the fantasy. So that I go back to that. I go back to the toy room. I just always loved Richard Pryor. So I found him hilarious. And I also always loved... Jackie Gleason. I could watch an hour straight of Jackie Gleason saying, oof. I always thought that was hysterical. But that's about all he does in this movie. Yeah, he even looks so tired. He looks, he just strikes me as I don't as think like he looks tired. I think either. he looks uninterested. Yeah, then maybe that's it. I think this, unlike a lot of the movies we've talked about, this is not one that has thankfully stood the test of time. Yeah, right. It's not one that has spawned sequels or copycats. It didn't invent no. a genre. But I still think it's significant. It was one of the higher gross, top 15 yeah. higher grossing films of the year. And for me, like, again, in relief to 48 hours, it's the same. It's the magical black man bring, mm -hmm. who, who's brought on to solve the white person's problem. In this case, it's the estrangement between father and son. And that... That's the long and short of it. Like that's that's the that's the entire thing. And he does. And the happy ending is when Jackie Gleason and 
and and Scott Schwartz uh, kind of drive off together with the intention of spending and, more time after having said that they love each other. Right, and Which so should like, be a and, given. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> the bar for fatherhood is really yeah. fucking low in 1982. Yeah, exactly. There is a line, <laughs> and, and I, this... as, as I should not have to, I should not have to describe to anyone. The bar well, of a... fatherhood is low. Yeah, exactly. But there's a line in this movie that's so Reaganite, in which Jackie Gleason utters these words: "I want my son to understand that having money means never having to say you're sorry." Yeah. Yeah. Holy fucking shit. Well, let's let's unpack this because I'll go one further uh, as not being Reaganite. It's Trumpian. You're Jackie right. Gleason plays Trump. Soup to nuts. You're His right. son is even named Eric. <laughs> there's there's a scene where the he says. The least of all the children. <laughs> <laughs> there's a scene after they talk, after they uh, uh, get busted for passing around the paper. Um, yeah. where Eric is trying to say, yeah, but that's the truth. We've just published a truth. And he said, nobody cares. He says, I don't care about truth. I care about reality. And let me tell right. you the difference between truth and reality. And he launches in on this whole soliloquy during which time he points to Ned Beatty and tells Ned Beatty says, to pull, pull his pants down. Your down. Pants. And, and Ned Beatty pulls down his pants because he's afraid of losing his job if he doesn't. And Jack Gleason says, that's reality. And I was like, holy shit, this is the entire... This is this is the fake news speech. This is the difference between truth and right. reality, and oh how God. how when uh, when a, a man becomes so powerful in business that he then starts to think politically. Uh, yeah, I mean he's working with the governor, or he's got the clan with working. He's working with. Yeah, he owns a store, but also a newspaper. It's like uh, he's sort of a. Uh, well, he's kind of like Ben Gazzara. In Roadhouse, he owns the whole town. <laughs> ben Kazar in Roadhouse. Oh no! I'm so sad that I know what that means. <laughs> Jackie Gleason's character is somebody who, you know, deals in and trades on racism. So whether or not he is a racist, which he is, let's say it, uh, but but he. He, that is his currency and not only racism, mm. but, but the, the sexism in this movie is like, is also oh. mind bogglingly, uh, in the same it's way a, as Ford. I would say it's even worse in this movie than I know, in it's out hours. of control. It's crazy. It's out of control. And it, it's coming from all directions. Like you don't ever safe. You're never safe no, from, no, no, exactly. from the, the casual, uh, misogyny that's going on. You're never safe. Like Jackie Gleason, whenever he gets mad at his wife, he threatens to throw her in an insane right. asylum. Right. Also, and it's not a casual. Not the only threat. wife he's done that to. Right. This <laughs> got precedent. <laughs> now, not for nothing, this movie is written by a woman named Carol Sobieski. She also wrote Annie, another film from this year, which has an incredibly racist character uh, in it. And so I am like really baffled by the character of Fancy. I'm really baffled yeah. by her presence, how she's characterized. She's very much sort of like a ditzy mall who is just yet another expendable wife. I, again, I don't know, is this from the original film? I suspect it might be. Right, 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 right. But it's somehow in the, tran in the transposing of that, it has become uh, 
Oh, God, so hard to watch. And then, oh, my God. And then, like, as if all of that wasn't <laughs> even enough, you have the nanny who, when she's not watching the kids, she's watching videos she's of Adolf watching Hitler. Hitler. <laughs> like, like, I, it's like, <laughs> we're trying to Which see I how is, much. I think is literally supposed to just count as. It's a joke. As yeah. a joke, as as, yeah. as 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 a comedy, Holocaust played for comedy is is right. like fifth on the list of offensive things about this movie. Because she's also a rapist, and she also like falsely accuses a black man of raping her in the yes, middle of his, exactly. Like, like she's there. <laughs> yes, yeah, right. She's the rapist, <laughs> and when he leaves, she accuses him of rape. Uh, this movie doesn't stop. Ever. It never takes a break. <laughs> right. It, it never, never goes out for a smoke. <laughs> <laughs> it never just settles down for a second. <laughs> this is a stain. Yeah. This movie is a stain on everybody. Like, I, 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 I have, like, no, so here's the thing, too. Like, so to get personal, too, for a second, like, I was, like, when I first watched this movie for this project, Several months ago, I was it was it was the first time in maybe 30 years I had seen it. And I was just really sad that I liked this movie. I was really sad. I was really sad. I was really uh, I felt a good amount of shame for having liked Uh this movie, for having been kind of won over by what uh, I thought was a cool toy room and some goofy slapstick comedy. I think I forgave myself just because Richard Pryor is still a a funny and engaging performer, even when he doesn't seem to be at his best or loving what he's doing in this movie. He still has funny moments. Yeah. There are still things he does in this movie that are just Richard Pryor being funny. Sure. It's Um, definitely not enough to sustain... Uh, no, but I think I think it was enough for me when I was a kid. So I gave myself at least a little bit of a break. Would you would you would you recommend uh, to watch this movie to anybody? Like, would you? I mean, the quick answer is no, but you always stop to watch a car crash, too. <laughs> That's what we do <laughs> as human beings. So if you're going to so, watch it, just rubberneck it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. You know, there's that part of you that says you have to watch this movie because you can't believe what they were doing. Mm-hmm. But obviously you shouldn't. You, it, it, you should watch it as a learning as as a learning tool. Like definitely watch it in a like a laboratory setting. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Safety goggles, you know, <laughs> sheet Put of on plexiglass. Your gloves, <laughs> Have a fire extinguisher ready. Like, yeah. Get the get the fire extinguisher ready. Be at least 10 feet away. Yeah. A fire might break out. Yeah. You never know. Well-ventilated area. The movie's combustible. Yeah. Um, I think the... the uh, I don't know. I don't know. And then there's a... <laughs> when he, I'm just when, like... I, I'm, this movie just makes me so despondent. Yeah. When young masturbates. <laughs> All right. I'll give you that gag. I'll give you that gag. Jokes. It's, fine. it's fine. Really, the only thing that makes me laugh about that is Richard Pryor laughing about that. Right. But right. Uh, when young masturbates says he wants to buy the black man and Ned Beatty and his 
cronies. They look like a, you know, a sectuplet of Reaganites. So at one point, one of them says, you can't buy a man, Eric. And Eric says, why not? And they don't have an answer for that question. They can't figure it out. And they're like, well, I think it's against the law, right? The thing that the thing that um, the thing that I notice about these movies in the early 80s that try to do whether they're buddy cop films like like Beverly Hills Cop or we'll see it again, a lethal weapon is that they seem to want to discuss race or or have a, a, um, race as a theme to the to the story but they don't actually want any kind of moral accounting. They just want to skip right to the comedy. And I feel like mm-hmm. you, you kind of can't, you can't skip to com. You can't get to the comedy before you deal with the reality first. Right. In my, in my opinion, I feel like. And the once- problem is they keep constantly paying lip service to it. And then it's immediately followed by Richard Pryor's character compromising himself. Yeah. He yeah. always says this is wrong. Well, okay. Yeah. For 2500, okay. Again, if this was if this is the original French film and race is not an issue in this, it's really just about, you know, bosses and employees and what we as employees do for money sometimes. It's like, yeah, that's kind of a universal thing and and mm-hmm. you can you can make a, a comic runner out of somebody yeah. selling themselves a bunch of times. But you can't do that set in the deep south. Deep south with a white man buying a black man. It, it we're not even now we're not at the place where we can make that make a comedy out of that. We're still reckoning with the right. reality of it. This is this movie's right up there with Soul Man for me. Yes, right. In terms of like colossal miscalculations. What the fuck were we thinking? Let's go to the salt no salt. I'm hot. <laughs> oh, I just wanna be your friend. Quick. I don't think this is going to take time. Quick. The toy. Salt. Grain of salt. Cup of salt. No salt. Oh, it's, you know, the, the front of a bulldozer. The, the <laughs> thing, like, like, you have to go to the salt mine and... You're like, you're like, you're like having to like, uh, this is like after a blizzard and you're having to salt a highway. Like that's how much yeah, salt exa- you're getting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's like <laughs> clear the roads, salt. Clear the road. That's how much level salt of... there is for the toy. I agree. Uh, I agree. I feel like, I think we said it, which is like, if you're going to watch this movie, do it in a laboratory setting. Yeah, right. Um, I don't even think this is like fun to watch in a so bad it's good. It's not. Life. It's not so bad it's good. It's, it's not. It, it's, it really isn't. It just keeps getting more and more disturbing. Yeah. And for me, like the the parallels between Jackie Gleason's character and Donald Trump were like bone chilling. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I was thinking Reagan, and the moment you said Trump, it was like key in a lock. Yeah, and it made the movie all the more reprehensible. <laughs> so I gotta ask you, Forty Eight Hours. It's cup of salt. It is. I I. I, I this movie, I, again, I've seen it a couple times now in terms of this project. I, I have not just like, this is not a hot take, mm-hmm. but it, it, to me, this is just a, a better made, more highly polished Death Wish 2. 
I just I I, I, can't, I can't get behind. I can't go I can't that get, far with it. I can't get behind like, movies like this anymore. Yeah, I just can't do it. I can't. I can't. It's it's for me. It's like a very simple thing of like, would I sit down with my kid and watch this movie? A no. Oh God, then, no. And then, but then I think like, would I sit down with my kid when he's like twenty five and watch this movie? I still say no, and I still think he would hate it. Um, or either okay. of them would hate. I think, I think, I don't think that there's a time when I'm like, okay, you're old enough. Let's watch 48 hours. I'm like, no, nah. right. There's plenty of movies where I'm like, all right, we'll wait when they're a little older and they can handle this movie. Um, but this one, I'm like, no, nah, like I've said in the past, scrappy. like I've said though, my, my relationship to that movie is a little more complicated because to me, it's a more interesting movie than just, Hey, this is a toxic train wreck. Hmm. It doesn't go that far for me because, A, the characters address racism. And you obviously you can debate the degree to which that is successful or not. And mm-hmm. that's fair game. But the fact that that movie does it at all and then the fact that behind the scenes this movie seemed to care. Reggie Hammond was originally supposed to be called Willie Biggs. Mm. And Eddie Murphy said that's like too big of a stereotypical kind of black name. I I, I don't want to be that character. And they mm. said, okay. And he grew up with somebody named Hammond. And so oh. Reggie Hammond it was. And then on top of that, like I said, they employed, you know, they give black actors supporting roles uh, where the characters are in positions of power. And Eddie Murphy is always on the same playing level as the white character and is represented I think as so smart and so capable, you know, it's not, it's not a grain, it's not a teaspoon, but I don't think it's a cup. Mm. It's somewhere in between. Like a tablespoon. Yeah. It's like a (laughs) tablespoon of salt. (laughs) Quarter cup? Maybe two. Quarter cup. Maybe two. Quarter cup? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because... Maybe we you should know, as c- I convert s- this to like the the metric system because <laughs> yeah, the right. number of grams is going to be in the long run more uh, a finer a finer uh, a measuring system <laughs> than the grain. So, like I said, when I watched it a couple years ago, I was deeply unsettled by the movie. Mm-hmm. I go so far as to say I think it's still a good movie. I don't think it's a I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's a troubling good movie. <laughs> I think that movie I mean, is I as complicated that... as talking about race is in in real life. Yeah, I think I think you you I think you're close to it there. Like I I, I guarantee you this movie's not like you remember it. It's not the roarest good time. No, it's and it's not like that, the, you, it's that not like I remembered seeing as a, a kid. Yeah. Yeah, like laugh a minute. It's not that. But, um, so there you have it. Oh. <laughs> that was hard. This is this was this was uh, these were a rough couple of movies. Yeah. I wish we had a, f- a funny way to end this show. <laughs> no, it's... we don't. This is it. <laughs> this is, the... dear listeners. This is where we just pull over and let you out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, we just can't take you the rest of the way. (laughs) Project 1982 is a production of the Everything Sequel Podcast.
and was produced by Mike Shantz and Matt Aldrich. Original music by Emmett Aldrich and Murphy Aldrich. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm the Wonder Wheel Champion of the World.